Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. So welcome, everyone. We're currently in a series called In the Name of Jesus. What we're looking at in this series is how do we understand our posture, not just to one another within the church, but like our posture towards the world? Like what, it, what is it that we are presenting specifically within our conduct? Um, and perhaps for you as well as me a little bit, it always can sometimes feel a little bit icky when we're talking about um, conduct and behavior and making sure that you're putting on a good face in the name of Jesus, that sort of thing. And, and I want to continually name that thing, that phenomenon right up front in a lot of these messages because that's real. A lot of you maybe grew up in church where um, that was hurtful, where like everything that you did was being put through this filter of like, hey, how does this reflect on Jesus? Are you being a good little you know, Christian boy or Christian girl, but um, what we, what I talked about briefly last week is like either this kind of like constricting legalistic way of doing our faith or what often happens, what we often do is the reaction against that is like, well, there's no borders, there's no boundaries, I can do whatever I want and God still loves me. Um, both of those are very immature ways to live. And whether it's like, you know, that, that dense legalism or it's kind of a wide open anything goes because there's grace. Um, ultimately, they're, they're immature ways to live, um, and they don't bring us any closer to the Lord, which is honestly what we've been looking at time and again is kind of the priority uh, of the Christian life. Like that, what we see in Jesus, what we see in Paul and other places is like to know God is to above all other things. And so um, today we're going to be looking at a passage that's going to be a little bit tricky, and I'm going to teach through it a little bit more verse by verse because I think it's so important to understand what Paul is doing. But we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of names uh, today. So to live in the name of Jesus is to testify with our lives to the reign of the king in his new heavenly world. So what I want to do, I want to give you two to three minutes, and you can pull out your phone, um, you can do a little quick Google research, perhaps you already know this, and then I want you to share with the people around you. What does your name mean? Your first name and your last name. What does it mean? When you look it up and you, you like seeing the origins of it, like perhaps it comes from a different language or it has a meaning or it's in reference to somebody, what does your name mean? So I'm gonna give you two or three minutes, just do a quick little Google search, share that with the person next to you, and then we'll carry on. Okay, so any, uh, any fun discoveries? Does anybody, what does your name mean? Devin, Jennifer, who are we pointing at? Fat man? What's your middle name? Oh, oh, okay. Gorel means fat man. Okay. Well, honey, it doesn't hold up, okay? <laughs> It's not, that's not a prophetic name. Uh, who else? Jenna's been living for a long time thinking her name meant a small white bird, but according to the Google device, it means white shadow, which, which is, is fantastic. White, like I am the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and she's been fighting crime under that name already for several years. It sounds like an anti-racist name, doesn't it? Like, 
Behold the white shadow. That's pretty cool. What else? Sola. Yes, Bella is beautiful in Italian. Alone? Wow. Hopefully that's not a prophetic pronouncement. Anybody else? Anybody from over here? Okay. Nice. And your last name? There you go. Um, my name, uh, Ryan, means uh, little king in Irish. And Adams would be like a kind of derivative of like of Adam. So uh, little king, son of Adam. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of all of us, but... Um, you know, we don't necessarily have this in our culture anymore. We pick names for a variety of reasons. How many of you have a family name? It's, it's your grandmother's name or whatever, like, or your middle name too, right? Like, how many of you, it was like your mom's college roommate. She just liked the name. It was just like, eh, just liked the name. That was me. I was just like, there's nobody in our family called Ryan. They just liked the name. Um, how many of you, your parents... Like, there was a deep significance to why they chose that name. Just some, like, particular reason you know. They were like, this has got to be it. Nobody. Everybody's name's Sola is the only one. Everybody else's name was just completely arbitrary. Just threw a dart. Okay, so she was, she was already thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anybody have any in interesting things with their last names? Wingard? Oh. Yeah, wine garden. So it might be like, you know, what your family did back in the day in Germany. That lovely German wine, you know? Oof, so good. I think it's Riesling, right? That's the only German wine. But anyway, I see, you know, our names have varying degrees of meaning something. But within the ancient world, this wasn't just for the Hebrews, um, but in the ancient world in general, names carried a lot of significance. Your name really it really meant something. Going all the way back in the scriptures to Adam and Eve, when, um, or even before Eve, to just Adam, when God says to name the animals. To name something is to give it a shape, and it's to establish kind of a relationship early on. So um, God is giving Adam a sense of autonomy to build relationship, to identify with animals, and then, um, and then Eve. And we find throughout all of scripture... Um, these names carry this tremendous amount of meaning and, and usually what they have is some sort of kind of prophetic meaning. It's this pronouncement of this is who God is. So any name that you see L in E-L, that's the, the name of God. Or you see like in uh, Jacob, um, the Yah or Yahweh that kind of works its way into names. Those are all references to God. Um, so names are a prophetic pronouncement about like something true about God or something that God is going to do through that individual. Um, but the other thing that we see about names in the ancient world is that people would be sent in the name of an authority, a, a king or uh, you know, a tribal leader, whoever it is. And what it meant to be sent in the name of somebody was that the authority 
of that leader would be transferred to that person for a time, specifically in the message that they would offer. So they would come to a foreign land or another dignitary and they'd say, I'm coming in the name of this king to speak this truth, which is to say it is basically as if that person is speaking directly to you. That's the kind of authority that I carry. So what we find in Jesus is sort of both of these understandings of what names signify in the ancient world. Number one, Jesus, or Yeshua, means Yahweh saves, delivers, rescues. It's a variation of Joshua. So if Jesus uh, were to come back in our time, his name would probably be Josh. Um, Christ, which is not Jesus' last name, by the way. His last name would have been probably like uh, Ben Jacob or you know, Ben Joseph, like something around there, like his, his dad's name is Joseph, so you've been Jesus, son of Joseph. Um, but Christ was uh, a title, and it means the anointed one, or the, the, the implication is king. So Jesus Christ means Yahweh saves, delivers, rescues um, through his anointed one, his king. And so today we're gonna be looking at a really, um, I think an amazing passage of Paul and it's going to tie in with this whole name thing. We're going to be looking at Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. And I'm going to read it all the way through first in the New Testament for Everyone translation. Because I really like how the N.T. Wright deals with this idea of the Christ or the anointed one. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to give you one minute of silence. And then I'm going to go back through it and we're going to kind of teach through it almost a verse by verse. So I'm going to pray. And, um, and we're going to read this passage today. Um, Father, I thank you for just the rich diversity of stories that are in this room right now. Um, that we've all come from somewhere. We've all been loved into being in some way, shape, or form. And in many ways, our names testify to that. Um, our names give us a point of reference they give us something of a definition for understanding who we are, but also what we can offer other people out of ourselves. And I pray, Lord, as we continue in this series, as we kind of sit under the banner of your name, to recognize that what we do and what we say um, kind of radiates from the name of Jesus, that you would be doing um, the important work inside of us of true Holy Spirit conviction. Um, to keep us open and vulnerable before you, um, but to have that desire to change and to grow, to leave behind um, what we need to leave behind that doesn't honor you or your name, but also to take up the things that do. So the, may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. So if you were raised to life with the king, search for the things that are above, where the king is seated at God's right hand. Think about the things that are above, not the things that uh, belong on the earth. Don't you see? You died, and your life has been hidden with the king in God. When the king is revealed, and he is your life, remember, then you too will be revealed with him in glory. So then... You must kill off the parts of you that belong on the earth. Elicit sexual behavior, uncleanness, passion, 
evil desires and greed, which is a form of idolatry. It's because of these things that God's wrath comes down on the children of disobedience. You too used to behave like that once when your life consisted of that sort of thing. But now you must put away the lot of them. Anger, rage, wickedness, blasphemy, dirty talk coming out of your mouth. Don't tell lies to each other. You've stripped off the old human nature, complete with its patterns of behavior, and you have put on the new one, which is being renewed in the image of the creator, bringing you into possession of new knowledge. It's in this new humanity. There's no question of Greek and Jew or circumcised and uncircumcised, of barbarian, Scythian, or slave and free. The king is everything and in everything. These are the clothes you must put on then since God has chosen you, made you holy, and lavished his love upon you. You must be tender-hearted, kind, humble, meek, and ready to put up with anything. You must bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against someone else, you must forgive each other. Just as the master forgave you, you must do the same. On top of all this, you must put on love, which ties everything together and makes it complete. Let the king's peace be the deciding factor in your hearts. That's what you were called to within the one body. And be thankful. Let the king's word dwell richly among you as you teach and exhort one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with grateful hearts. And whatever you do, in word or action, do everything in the name of the Master, Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So I'm going to give you one minute to sit with that in silence. So as I said, I'm going to teach through this kind of verse by verse, kind of really breaking down um, Paul's line of thinking here. And it's important that we're no you're noticing what is your reaction to this kind of passage, especially some of these words that can be really difficult. Like how does your body respond to those things? Because that might be as much as we want to run away from difficult feelings or difficult ideas, part of the work of the spirit within us is to help us notice what's happening um, within our bodies, within our, uh, within our hearts, um, and those to be a point of curiosity for us to kind of delve a little bit deeper and say, Lord, what are you trying to show me here that maybe I normally back away from because it feels uncomfortable? Because one of the things that we know is that it's only by working through difficult concepts or, or things that make us uncomfortable that we actually become stronger. And a lot of times when we're kind of avoidant of difficult things with the Christian faith, uh, we keep ourselves in a spot of immaturity. Um, we keep ourselves in a spot where um, we're uh, just too fragile uh, to really deal with the hard things of life. And so as we kind of go at the right pace with the Holy Spirit, we're invited into to deeper, more difficult things, and we begin to see the beauty of what it is that the Lord has called us to. So I'm going to break up this passage uh, kind of into three parts. And we read it in the New Testament for everyone. I'm going to go back through it in NIV. I think it's helpful to read passages and various um, translations just to kind of get a fuller flavor for them. Um, and then just talk a little bit about kind of what some of these phrases from Paul really mean. So 
beginning back in verse 4, or verse 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we have already died to the old earthly ways through Christ. Now we are learning to live in the new heavenly ways. I think that's what's so important here at the very beginning of this passage. We've already died to the old ways. Now we're learning how to live in the heavenly ways. So as many of you know, uh, my family immigrated here from Northern Ireland when I was five years old. Um, kind of immediately put into school, okay, because that's a really great way to immerse yourselves. And there was a lot of little difficult things there at first. Um, so my mom said, you know, early on, I, I came home with this, like, kind of coloring identification page, and it's like these little pictures, and you have to label, like, what is this? And she looks at it, she's helping me with it, and she sees what looks like a stick. So she writes stick on it. And then we see this other thing, and it looks like it's probably an apple. So we just write apple. And I did not do well on that because the first object was a baseball bat, which I didn't know what that was. And the second thing was a pumpkin, and we don't have those. Um, so it was very, the, the school system is very biased towards Americans. The first week, my mom asks me, um, what did you have for lunch today? And I said, we had Messy John's, which is Sloppy Joe's. Uh, we do also don't have those. Um, and to, to, to compound things, my, uh, my brother's teacher, my kindergarten teacher, called up my mom and said, wow, he just, he has such an amazing grasp of the English language, which of course is our native tongue in Ireland as well. Um, there's, it's, it's difficult, I think, sometimes to understand what citizenship means when you're naturalized, when you're just kind of born into a world, you're born into a country. Um, and I think that it's a really important analogy for us to understand what Paul is trying to tell us here. I think what is so key, before we go any farther, is that he starts off saying, since then you have been raised with Christ. So when Paul is writing to the Colossians, and by extension he's writing to the rest of us, he's saying, this, is, this has already happened. You have died with Christ, you have been raised into new life. That heaven is now your true home. But now there's a little bit of work for you to do to learn how to become a naturalized citizen. It's really important that we remember that God's whole project is about heaven coming to earth, not zapping us away from earth to this other place called heaven. So when Paul uses this language of leaving behind earthly things, taking up heavenly things, he's saying, you're learning how to live as a citizen of this country. And you're not constantly being graded by God by whether or not you get it right, that you speak the, the language, that you know all of the customs and the behaviors. Like, you're going to mess up. That's the implication of this passage. But over time, as you're training yourself to make your new home more and more of a daily reality, the hope is that you become mistaken for a native in the way that you speak, in the way that you conduct yourselves. And so it's important that we differentiate between um, this call to a virtual life and our salvation. Our salvation is not tied into how moral or virtuous we are. It's tied into how much we have received this reality that we have already died with Christ and so we have been raised again. 
And I love here that Paul says, because this has already happened, there's now work for you to do. And he says, set your uh, heart on things above, and then he sets your mind on things above. And so what Paul is talking about is this whole person transformation. That, you know, God desires every part of you to be gathered up in this salvation work that we find in Jesus. Nothing gets left behind. This is not just about your heart. I've, you know, I remember hearing a pastor friend of mine say that at one time. He said, well, I think at the end of the day, God just wants your heart. I said, I don't think that's true. I think God wants every part of you. But the other thing I think is so fascinating here is he's, Paul is saying, you have to put forth effort. Okay? Um, now, a lot of us good Protestants, we kind of balk at that because we're like, oh, faith works, and we work very hard to be saved by faith, but not works. And this whole kind of imaginary argument that came out of the Reformation, and we see things like this, and we go, oh, well, it's not really about the work that you do. It's all about what the Spirit is doing kind of behind the scenes, like when you kind of lift the hood of your life. It's actually God's been doing these things. You haven't done any of it. I think that would be completely incomprehensible to Paul, to Peter, to the other early Christians. They're saying, no, you've got to do your part. Like, it requires effort. You have to show up to co-conspire with the Spirit of God to see the reality of salvation take hold in your life and to materially manifest in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, and in the way that you act. As we talk about those centers of intelligence through personality, we see all of those um, at play within this passage. And then at the very end, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And what does he mean here? He says, at the end of your life, when, and at the end of all time, when Christ is fully appears, when heaven and earth are being brought back together as this new heavens and new earth, the, the way that you have been called to live will finally make sense. Because a lot of times, the way that we're called to conduct ourselves in the public sphere as Christians doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, and I think tragically, even as Christians, a lot of the decisions we make are very utilitarian. We make decisions because they feel good, or we make decisions because, well, it just makes sense for us to do this across this line of logic, because we have taken our eyes off this, this vision that Paul is giving us that we are to live in the name of Jesus. We live for a higher purpose, and a purpose that at times can be really, really difficult for us to ascertain, but we're trusting that the life that God is calling us to live is far greater than the one that we choose to live when we make decisions out of what is convenient or out of what is feels good or whatever it might be. And so he, co he goes on in verse five. <clears throat> Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And I'm sure that's the part where a lot of you are already feeling the heebie-jeebies. Don't worry, we'll get there. We'll either make it better or we'll make it worse. We'll see. Um, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, <clears throat> but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the most important thing to me to understand from this portion. 
um, that it's not until we know Jesus that we can understand what kind of lifestyle we're called to leave behind. It's not until we actually know Jesus. Sin is a category that only has meaning when you know what God is like, the God revealed in Jesus. And I think we've gotten this tragically wrong for the better part of 100 years in our country because we used to, you know, not you, because you're better than this, um, go out in the street, and if you try to convict somebody of their sin, right? I've been, um, you know, many of you, you've probably been to like a march or a protest for whatever, and there's always people that are on our team that are on the side holding up the signs, you know, you know, you know how that is, right? Um, that are trying to tell people that they're going to go to hell for going to the clubs or for being trans or whatever it is, right? Um, that worked worked, quote unquote, maybe 70 years ago because everybody was kind of culturally Christian, so you're just kind of scaring people into the seats of churches. Uh, but it doesn't really work. Um, and the, the biggest problem with that form of, I even hesitate to call it evangelism, um, is we're going we're gonna to convince you that there's a problem in your life, and then we're going to present Jesus as the solution, right? That's what that formula often does. So the only thing we know about Jesus is that he is functional. Um, Jesus exists as a function in my life so that I can get something else. And we've reduced the, you know, the creator of the universe, the king of the universe, the one who holds it all together, just into a solution to a problem that we have invented. But sin is not a category you can understand until you know Jesus. And so it's not until you and I encountered the radical beauty of Jesus, the profundity of who he was and is and continues to be, that that light of Christ shines on our lives and we begin to re-examine the way that we live and go, wow, I don't know if the way that I'm living actually honors Jesus. And maybe all of these very reasonable convenient, comfortable decisions I've been making in my life don't serve him. Maybe they've served me for some degree, but they just certainly don't seem to, to hold up to the beauty of who Christ is. And that's what I mean when I say that sin is a category that we only understand once we know Jesus. <clears throat> now, there's that, there is this little line in there that because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you have to remember when we talk about wrath, we look at the story of the prodigal son, right? That the younger son comes to the father and he says, give me what's already due to me, which is to say to the father, I wish you were already dead so that I can have my inheritance. And the father looks upon the son whom he loves and he says, okay, I will let you do that. I will let you have your half of the inheritance early and I will let you walk out the front door of my house and I will let you squander all that I have given you and I will let you find yourself in a foreign land eating pig slop in the hopes that at some point you turn around and you realize what it is that you already had. Because the wrath of the father and the kindness of the father are the same thing. And this is the, the radical nature of free will that God says, I will let you walk away from me and I will let you experience the natural consequences of a, of a world that has no grace or mercy in it. And I will let you squander what I have given you. That's God's wrath. That's what wrath means. Wrath in Greek mythology was very much Zeus throwing lightning bolts at people when they didn't behave themselves. 
but the wrath of our Father because he loves us is, I will let you ruin yourself. I will let you walk away from me. I've heard it described, I don't like the term passive judgment, but that's what it really means. It's like, I will let you live the life that you desire to live because I love you. But it's always restorative. Like God lets us go. God lets us experience the consequences of the decisions we make in the hope that we will turn around and recognize through our experience, not just because somebody told us something, that his ways are better than our ways. That's what we really hope. And so we see in this portion of the scripture, essentially two categories of, <clears throat> of sin. Um, there's one category that most scholars sing overall, they're sexual sins. Okay, so we're talking about sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. It's probably like sexual greed, and that's why that it, Paul leaves it as idolatry. Like we've, we've turned sex, we've turned people into an idol that we worship, um, especially in a society like ours today where we say like sex is a right, you know, which is real tricky when you get into what that means for men and what that means for women. Um, we see the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s where it's trying to desacralize sex. We started to believe in this idea of casual sex, which there's no such thing, um, you know, where we tried to like make it normal and, you sh and then we make it obligatory. Like you should be having as much sex as possible and if you're not, there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? Um, like all these, these things that came in, in the name of liberation, in the name of like, we should be able to do whatever we want and kind of throw off all of these old ways of being. A lot of that's collapsed in the past 40 or 50 years and people are recognizing, well, that's not a really good way to live. There's something more complex and sacred and beautiful about sex that maybe we need to kind of come back around to. And the second category is our words, our speech, the way that we talk to each other. Um, like that, that anger, rage, malice kind of being the, the motivator for us saying the wrong thing, but then we see slander, we see lying. And what Paul's saying in both of these categories is these are the kinds of things that tear communities apart. Um, and I, 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 this is what I, I, I think it's, it's actually the grace of Paul that he doesn't micro-define a lot of sins for us, you know? Um, like, Sometimes the, the questions I get from people are really interesting, especially when it comes to like sexual behavior because what it ends up coming out is kind of like, what's the most that I can do to get away with still technically not sinning? Which is not a great way to live in any category, you know? Um, like kids, earmuffs. You know, someone will say, well, like, uh, is masturbation a sin? It's like, well, it's not in the Bible. If you're looking for a, a rule book that just micro-defines all the behaviors of what you do and do not want, I said, the reality is people want the Bible to say a lot more about sex than it actually does. All the proponents of sex and all of the, like, opponents of, like, free sex or whatever. But the way that the New Testament works and the way that Paul works, he says, I need you to go and figure this out. Like, do the work. Engage with the Holy Spirit. Try to figure out, like, what is God calling us to? So, like, lust, for example. Lust means, like, love kind of means, like, you are the subject and, and God is working through me in order to elevate you, to help you to grow. Um, lust means, like, you're the object that I'm using. I'm gobbling up to make myself feel bigger than I am. That's kind of a, a differentiation. 
um, Paul's engaging and saying, do the work to figure out what, is, what does lust mean? What does that look like in your life? Jesus does the same thing when he's kind of calling us out. He's like, you know, if you look at somebody wrong, like pluck your eye out and you're going like, well, gosh, what, what is he actually talking about? Because we're so addicted to legalism. We hate legalism because we love legalism. We want someone to tell us what to do. And we want someone to tell us what all the rules and the boundaries are. And then when we grow up and we become adults and nobody's telling us what to do anymore, um, we're in one part anxious because we don't have anybody giving us clear definitions of what we should and should not do. Um, but then we're also going out in our supposed newfound freedom to do whatever it is that we want because we're in a society that tells us there shouldn't be any borders or boundaries and we're completely rudderless when it comes to our sexual ethic or how we talk about one another, how we talk about um, people that we claim to love. So we have to do the work of delving into these things and say, well, what am I actually called to? Like, let's get over all the legalistic stuff. Let's get over all of the, like, anything goes, um, nothing really means anything kind of mentality and say, what, am I, what kind of life am I actually being called to? I think one of the underlying things that we see in, this, in these, both of these lists is that these are behaviors that cause division. They're behaviors, whether they're words or actions, that tear communities apart, tear relationships apart. And that, at the least, has to be our gauge uh, for how we conduct ourselves in these things. Does this way of being in the world, am I hurting myself in this without recognizing it? Am I hurting other people through this? And am I hurting God? We don't, I think we often, that's the one that we don't think about. Like, if God loves us and desires to be close to us, are we hurting God? I think that brings us back to the wrath part. Um, I know in my life, and I think it's true for a lot of you, we feel far from God because we have unconfessed or unacknowledged sin that's caused us to wander. And so there's things perhaps on this list, whether it's like sexual sin, sins of power and dominance, um, language, words, the way that we've talked about people, and we are that younger son, and we've walked away from the Lord, and then we wonder why we're not close to him. We wonder why we can't hear the voice of God. And it's because <coughs> we're still stuck in that foreign land. We have walked away from the Lord, and there's something in our hearts that's kind of stopped us, stopped us up. It's kind of, it's just kind of, you know, kind of arrested our ability to feel. Um... And it's when we come to the Lord and we confess these things and we open up our lives back to him that we can be forgiven of these things, be forgiven of these sins, and then be invited back into relationship so we can actually like, experience the presence of God to us again. And Paul begins to talk about this difference between the new self and the old self. <coughs> that the new self, who we have become, but we're looking to make that, to manifest that in our day-to-day -day reality, is Jesus-like. Because this is another wonderful gauge when we're trying to work out, what does lust mean? What does slander mean? If we don't see it in Jesus, can we really defend our position in something? And I think what's a really beautiful exercise for all of us to do, 
when it comes to our personalities and the way that we are in the world is to say, what will I look like in the new heavens and the new earth? Like when God finishes the, the project he has begun in rescuing the whole world through Jesus, when all evil has been overcome and done away with, when Satan has been fully cast out of the world and everything is perfect and we have full relationship with God, what parts of me will remain? And what will be undone in me? Because some of us are gonna struggle with things our whole life. I think especially when it comes to sexuality because it's so close to being the core of who we are. It's not, but it's really, really, really close to say, what, what will I look like? What is this new self? What will I look like in the new heavens and the new earth? And can I work back now to begin to acknowledge those things before the Lord because I want to, to reveal more of Jesus in the way that I choose uh, to live my life. And that last little piece, you know, there's new Gentile or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, safe or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What Paul is saying is, Jesus' sovereign rule is everywhere. Like no one is beyond his reach. No one, there's, there's no one that his loving rule does not apply to. Now some of us, you know, maybe don't acknowledge that day today in the same way, you know, um, I have a king right now, literally, his name's Charles. Maybe you've seen him on television. Um, I had a queen my whole life who was my parents' queen for my whole life. But I didn't always live as if I had a queen because I'm over here and she doesn't really pay attention to me, which is totally fine. But to live under someone's rule doesn't mean that you always acknowledge that they are on the throne, but they are. So for us, this, this Christ is all and is in all idea is like, can you live day by day with a more and more daily acknowledgement that Jesus is on the throne and that you are a, a, you are a subject, you are... A, a citizen of his kingdom and allow that to shape the way that you live to say, I want to be a better citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And the final portion in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God in gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's not enough for us to simply try and avoid bad behavior. That's not what the Christian life is about. But in learning to think and act like Christians, we are becoming more like our king. That, we need that goal, we need that vision, where am I headed? Who am I to become? Am I just trying to mitigate bad behavior or have I given up on defining bad behavior overall and living into this kind of anything goes and God will still technically love me and accept me mentality? Or do I have a vision to say this is who I am becoming in Christ and I want to be single-minded in pursuing 
that vision. And I love that here Paul is kind of using this clothing language. He's saying like, throw off the old self and put on the new self. And then love is kind of this belt around it. Um, I remember, you know, many of us, you know, in like middle school and high school, you're trying to figure out who you are and like who you align with, like who's your, your crew, who's your gang, who are your types of people. And we often do that through clothing, right? Um, it's like, you want to dress like everybody else. And so you had the like, I don't know, when I was in high school, well, I went to high school in Northern Virginia. So it was like Ugg boots and North Face and like Abercrombie and Fitch and like deadly low-rise jeans, you know, and like popped collars, you know, like that was kind of like that Northern Virginia kind of look, you know? Um, but we all, there was like the way you dressed said something, you were trying to convey something about who, who you belong to, who your people are, you know? Like I had a season where it's like, I really wanted Adidas, but we didn't have any money. So it was like whatever Marshalls had that had Adidas on it, that's what I was going to wear. Or um, when baggy jeans were in th a thing and like we couldn't afford Jinkos, so I would just buy jeans that were just too big and like strap them on with a belt because I was this like skinny 98 pound wuss, you know, with these like huge jeans, you know, and like the green Adidas with the, um, the clamshell toes on them, you know. <clears throat> Again, here's my, my Limp Bizkit era. Um, but like clothing gives us status. Um, and sometimes we become obsessive about name brands because it says something about who we are. And that's kind of the analogy that Paul is giving us here when he's saying, take off these old clothes of like anger and, and, and malice and, and sexual immorality and lust and greed and, and all these things. He's like, take it off. Like, that's not who you are. That's not what you want to present to the world. It's not covering you up. It's not doing you any good. And he's saying, put on these things. Like, put this on, like these, these virtues, like they are clothes. And the question becomes, what do we do when we're so allergic to legalism, where we're so afraid of the micro-defining of sin and like what that means for us, is we begin to believe that Paul is calling us to virtue formation, which is to say that by focusing on something in our first nature, where we're really intent and we're learning how to, to demonstrate a quality that we see in Jesus, over time, it will become second nature. And we begin to live it out naturally. A lot, I think a lot of you probably know um, those folks that have been walking with Jesus for you know, 40, 50, 60 years, and they just naturally radiate the love of Christ. And they're so, like, peace just radiates. It seems effortless, right? Um, that's not, it's not effortless. That's the required effort over a course of a life to know Jesus, to make it our first nature to become more like him so that over time, it becomes like breathing to us. It becomes second nature. But if we think the Christian life is just kind of about playing jazz and just improvising from day to day and waking up and just saying, well, I don't know, what do I wanna to be today? We will never find ourselves in that place. And that's why we need a vision of where we are headed and who we are becoming. Because when we look to Christ, we say, that's what it looks like to be truly and fully human. And when we see these two lists, we see a list of qualities where we say, ah, yes, that looks, that's a way to compromise our humanity. 
because we're not created to destroy ourselves. We're not created to hurt other people. We're not created to rebel against God. We were created for intimacy. We were created for closeness and for peace. And we look at that second uh, list of qualities. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, unity, peace. And we say, is there anything on that list that anybody has a gripe with? We look at that and we say, no, of course. Like that, those are the best qualities that our species are capable of demonstrating. And Paul wraps it up by saying, whatever you do, from the least significant thing to the greatest, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To, to live a life of virtue is to live in the name of Jesus. That we convey a message with, through his power in how we live. And it's more than behavior management, and it's more than this kind of everything goes vision of grace. But it's to say, I have been captured by King Jesus. And I'm looking to set my mind and my heart on things of heaven as my new citizenship, as the place that I now live, so that what I do, I'm doing under his authority. I'm doing it in his name. But to move from living in our name only to living in the name of Jesus requires courage and vulnerability. For me, the question becomes, what world would I rather live in? A world that's oriented around my own name, where I get to continue to be king of my own castle? Or do I want to live in the world um, that's oriented around the name of Jesus? Because the world that I inhabit that's kind of built around my own name, it's full of the things on that list. Ooh, the slander. Oh, you should hear me go off sometimes. It's awful. The Lord is really convicting me recently of how kind of judgmental and, and persnickety I can become. Like, you know, even in this mentioning like meekness, I'm, you know, re I was reading this book and he said, the people who are meek, who will inherit the earth, are the people who give up the need for power and control over other people and events. And through my words, oh my goodness, I try to control so much and to give up that place of judgmentalism, you know? Thinking about being oriented around my name, even with that first list, like things that I have done in the past or things that I've participated in and going like, that's not, it didn't work. That's not the world um, that I want to live in. And the, I think the beautiful revelation for you and for me as people who have accepted Jesus as the Christ, the King, is to say, it's not the way you earn your way into the grace of God. Like you don't behave your way into the kingdom by not lusting and being kinder. It's, this is not a, a, a gauge of moral behavior. Like again, the, one of these lies that we find in our society is like, well, at the end of the day, like God wants us to be good people. Well, no, he doesn't. He wants relationship with you. Um, but it's to recognize you have already died. That's the, that's the, the mind-blowing thing about this whole thing is that you and I, we have already died. We have already been raised in Christ. And so now our lives become about fixing our minds and hearts on the things that are of above, 
of killing off the old vestiges of the former life that we have been saved from and being trained up in the ways of the new one. And so my challenge for you this week is to, to slow down with, with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, and to look over this passage, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and say, what's one vice that you feel that pull of the Spirit uh, to deal with in your own life, to cast off that old way of thinking or, or acting, um, to recognize maybe that's the thing that's getting between you and the Lord, and you wonder why you can't hear Him or why you can't communicate with the Lord, because there's something that you're holding on to that's, that's stuck between you and Him, and He's beckoning you into His presence to lay it down, to say, no, confess this thing to me, not as a way of receiving a punishment, but so that we can get the stuff out of the way um, so that we can be together. And when you look over that list of virtues, what's one virtue that you want to grow in? Because you want to better reflect Jesus into the world. Are you not very patient? Do you recognize maybe I'm not as kind as I think that I am or, or meek or whatever it might be? And to do the work, to own your own life, uh, to partner with the Holy Spirit, to say, Lord, I want to I wanna become this kind of person. Like, help me um, to focus on this in a way that day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, I'm looking a little bit more like you because I'm living in your name and not in mine alone. So I want you to stand with me, please. And I know this is tremendously heavy, um, and that's okay. Um, that's okay. We don't, we don't shy away um, from heavy or difficult conversations. Um, but we step into them with courage and with vulnerability to believe um, that God is actually doing something. So as we worship, um, I want to invite you uh, to sing over one another. If you feel that pull and you want to do some, some work with the Lord, um, to do that, to sit in prayer, uh, to confess, to ask, uh, to seek his face and to believe that he will respond to you to set you free and then to help you to grow to look more like him. Um, when you came in, you were given a little WWJD bracelet, um, which I've been I've been wanting to do this for a while. And um, I thought this was a great time uh, to do it just because they're fun. And that we need to redeem some of the things that, you know, maybe we had from our youth um, because maybe there was an ounce of truth there that didn't always get, you know, shared with us because so much about behavior management. We were never being told what kind of life we're called to live. But it's a, it's a damn good question, I think. Like, what would Jesus do? What is the life he's calling me to live? And am I living in such a way that day by day I'm seeing that redemption as he's flooding different arenas of my life and saying, now's the time. Let's focus on this thing. Let's move you deeper into citizenship in my kingdom. So I'm going to pray and we'll worship. So Father, um, thank you that you go before us, that you make straight paths for us to encounter you, but that you also bid us um, to, to make a move, to move towards you, to set our minds and our hearts on things that are of you, things that are not. 
So Holy Spirit, we give you permission to move in this space, in and through us. Would you convict us of things in our lives that we do more out of our own name than yours? And that we would recognize that in that conviction there is no condemnation, but there is an invitation to have a dialogue with you. And through your spirit, would you give each one of us a vision of what it looks like in the new heavens and the new earth when all of this has been removed from us, that we can stand free and open and whole in the way that you've created us to be. We need that vision of where we are headed to give us the courage today to do the hard work City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.